And out of all of my favorite Kate songs, this is the hardest one to define because it's such, on the surface, a simple song with simple lyrics, but it's really not. I think for me, it's her performance. Her voice just is magical on this song, and it may not have the most complex musical structure like some of the stuff mm -hmm. on Hounds of Love, but just everything, the sound, the production, her voice, the lyrics, the meaning, the mood. It's unbelievable that this is only, only, I say, a B-side. It's one of those things that kind of slipped between the cracks for me for a long time, even though mm -hmm. it's actually a, a B-side to Running Up That Hill, which is, of course, one of her biggest hits. Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like I should have known about it for a long time, but I only really got to know about it maybe 2003, 2004. So there was a lot of stuff going online um, that I wasn't aware of. And uh, I came across uh, Under the Ivy and I just loved it instantly because it's just so beautiful. It's just a, a very straightforward and very simple. Well, this is one of the things I think we need to talk about is that superficially, at least, it seems like a very simple, a very straightforward and beautiful ballad. But I think there's a lot to it that's really mm -hmm. worth investigating and um, taking the time to enjoy and, and, and think about some of those nuances. of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to talk about the first B-side of the House of Love season called Under the Ivy, which was the B-side for Running Up That Hill. It wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it, to tell you where we'll meet. This little girl inside me Retreating to her favorite place. Go to the garden, go under the ivy, under the leaves, away from the party. Go right to the road, go right to the white road. We've got two guests actually for this episode. We're going to get to here from Wayne Henderson from MediaVoiceOvers.com, and I've been waiting a while to get to this song. I love Under the Ivy. And also, we're calling all the way to England to talk with... Hello, it's me, Alex Dale. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we at last had you on in the Never Forever season. That's right, and I'm delighted to be back. I'm uh, very touched that you didn't ask me back. Of course! I love how all, all sorts <laughs> of people. So, what is it about under the ivy kind of what's your personal history with this song and out of all of my favorite kate songs this is the hardest one to define because it's such on the surface a simple song with simple lyrics but it's really not i think for me it's her performance her voice just is magical on this song and it may not have the most complex musical structure like some of the stuff mm -hmm. on hounds of love but just everything, the sound, the production, her voice, the lyrics, the meaning, the mood. It's unbelievable that this is only, only I say, a B-side. But I tell you, at this time period of Kate Bush during The Hounds of Love and even onto the next album, she was so prolific. I mean, the B-sides, mm -hmm. there's enough for a whole album there. And 
you know, alternate versions and dance mixes and just all this stuff. She was just a machine, a fabulously magic machine during this time. And I think it, a lot of that, why there are so many B-sides and alternate versions for this season is because this was the season where she had her own home studio. So she could just record whenever and however she wanted. And so she, she could just record to her heart's content. And that's probably why there are so many B-sides on this season. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so many of them are fantastic. And oh, Under the oh. Ivy, wow. Just... Oh, wait, that's another Kate Bush song. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so wh what was it like for you the first time you heard Under the Ivy? How did you first hear it? I first heard it because uh, a record store in the area where I used to live always got their shipments of imports and U.S. releases on particular days. And so we'd always chat with the manager there because he actually – considering there was no real internet happening at that time, he was kind of in the know with upcoming stuff. And he kept telling us, oh, this Hounds of Love album from Kate Bush, she's going to go commercial. You're going to be blown away. I'm hearing great things. And we should get the the lead single, um, you know, running up that hill anytime. And so I knew what day it was going to come out, went and got it. And the first time I heard Under the Ivy was rushing home with that album, album with that single and just, putting it on the stereo, putting on my headphones and just soaking it in. I was like, new Kate Bush. I couldn't wait because it was such a long wait, so to speak, <laughs> from the dreaming mm -hmm. till this album. And I just wanted to soak up every song. And so I just wore that single out. Um, it's a, that's a really good question because it's one of those things that kind of slipped between the cracks for me for a long time, even though mm -hmm. it's actually a, a B-side to Running Up That Hill, which is, of course, one of our biggest hits. Oh, yeah. um, I feel like I should have known about it for a long time, but I only really got to know about it maybe 2003, 2004, uh, because I went back to university during that time and I was doing a, a master's, uh, and it was the first time that I had proper internet connection, so I was really exploiting it for, uh, for everything I could just to find uh, B-sides, obscure tracks, all of the, the demos that um, the... Uh, what are the names of those demos now? Um uh, some could I call them like the Kathy demos or exactly. the Phoenix demos. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going online um, that I wasn't aware of. And uh, I came across uh, Under the Ivy and I just loved it instantly because it's just so beautiful. It's just a, a very straightforward and very simple. Well, this is one of the things I think we need to talk about is that superficially, at least, it seems like a very simple, a very straightforward and beautiful ballad, but I think there's a lot to it that's mm -hmm. really worth investigating and um, taking the time to enjoy and, and, and think about some of those nuances. What, what about you? What's your story with this song? Well, I first heard this probably when I had my husband find the um, the files for the two discs of rarities from the this woman's work box set because until then i was only familiar with let's see i had the dreaming at that point i had hounds of love i also had the red shoes album so i really only knew the album cuts and i was aware that this song existed and people thought oh my gosh it's one of her one of my favorite songs it's one of her best that's that's that and so 
I kind of like had it built in my head like, okay, this song is supposed to be like one of her best and it's a B-side. And so when I listened to it for the first time, I was probably, it was probably about 2008-ish. And at that time I was coming out of college. I was also like getting into a lot more of the singer songwriters like um, Tori Amos I was getting into at the time as well. But Kate, of course, has stuck with me a little bit longer and more consistently than Tori has. And when I heard this song, I realized why people loved it so much. I realized, wow, she's got this kind of intense emotional story in less than two and a half minutes. And as I've seen in some of her other B-sides, like, say, Warm and Soothing, which is also a piano and vocal track, that there is a lot within just those, like, two minutes. And also, like, the melody is is kind of, it's very plaintive. It sounds like somebody mourning something that they can't have anymore. And over the years, this song has especially resonated with me, and it's now actually risen to my top ten. Of the songs. <laughs> it is ranked at number six. It's because, like, I've realized kind of as I've gotten older that, you know, there are things that I don't get to do anymore that I kind of, like, miss. I, sometimes I miss the childlike innocence that I used to have, and now I feel like I'm a cynical 34-year-old <laughs> about a lot of things. And oh, man. <laughs> like, You're talking to a cynical 44-year-old. <laughs> so it just it feels like... It's a, such a lament, and also, especially like this year, I've been going through a lot of changes and doing a lot of growing. And this song, for me, feels like somebody like losing something that they used to have and they wish they still had. Yeah. And, um, and like you're trying to slip away from some place, like you know, away from the party. And in a way, it reminds me vaguely like thematically at least certainly not musically of somewhere only we know by keen because that, that song because okay. that song like feels like you know we're like you know and if you have a minute why don't we go talk about it somewhere only we know and it's all about like growing up and like uh getting away from the harshness of life and so thematically, this song reminds me a little bit of Somewhere Only We Know. Oh, that's one of my favorite Keen songs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always come away with more stuff to listen to after talking to you. This is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, just as an aside, how many of your favorite songs is this now that, that you can talk about? So, um, I think you talked, because I've been trying to, I haven't managed to listen to all of your episodes, <laughs> but I know you've certainly mentioned a couple of your favorite songs so far. Yes, so, um, so number one is Cloud Busting. Ah. Yeah, okay. that is like my absolute, absolute favorite. Uh, Cloud Busting, I know that Wow is in there too, Night of the Swallow. 
Uh, Natan Fuipa, that's right. Natan Fuipa is number three. That was Night a very the... good episode as well. I very I enjoyed that one. Um, <laughs> number four is Night of the Swallow. Five is Wow. And now number six is Under the Ivy. Oh, and number seven is uh, Running Up That Hill. Okay. So uh, that's a very good uh, single to own. Back to back there. I know. An A side and a B side. Because, yes, I've ranked this one like one slot above Running Up That Hill, but this Running Up That Hill used to be my absolute favorite Kate song. And it's kind of slipped a little bit because I've gotten more into her music and just there's more of her stuff that resonates with me, mm. and especially this song. And this is also a beautiful song to play on piano. Speaking of piano, we are about to hear a portion of a piano instrumental transcribed by ear by the YouTube user Yanta. Yanta is best known for doing Tori Amos transcriptions, he, but he has a few originals and he has a few transcriptions from our lovely British songstress, including this week's song. So here's part of Yanta's version of Under the Ivy. You can support him at patreon.com slash Yanta. why this is one of my favorite why, why this is one of my top 10 favorites I have a lot of a personal connection to this song because for me it's about wanting to just retreat from the world to just get away from everybody else maybe for no real reason you just need to get away for a while and I know Kate has said and we can, we'll talk about this that, that Kate has said that oh this she wrote this to be about somebody like going to meet somebody or that you're you're trying to do something you used to do when you were a kid or you used to do a lot when you were younger and you're afraid you can't do it anymore. And I know for me, I'm very extroverted, obviously on this podcast, but in truth, I'm quite an introvert and that I kind of need to retreat for a while and just engage with my creative side, like get away, you know, away from the party. I need to get away from the hustle and bustle of the world and retreat to my own favorite place, whether it's honestly editing this podcast or sitting in, sit like Kate, sitting in front of my piano and just creating. And, and it's, that's something that I've, that's become very important to me is having that creative space and just retreating from the world for a while. And I never understood when I was a teenager that I would get really snappy. I mean, I was being a bitchy teenager, but I would get like mean with people if I was up in my room and my my parents would knock on the door and I was in the middle of writing a song or doing something creative and I would just be like ah what do you want kind of thing and it was because oh my god I was in this like this headspace this creative thing where I was just so focused and instead like somebody's pulling me out of it and I never understood until I was older that, oh it's because you're an introvert duh and I just didn't know what that meant and so for me this song really strikes a chord because, you know, this is somebody else. You know, Kate is somebody else who, like me, has to step away from the world and just engage with something that she loves to do. And, and she leaves it ambiguous as to, to what it is. Um, you know, it's not it's not easy for me to give away a secret. It's not safe. We don't know. OK, what is the secret? And you're just kind of like let your own interpretation. And for me, it's that I have to be in this creative space. And 
I this song really hits me because Kate understands that need to be introverting for a while and I've been rambling but that's the purpose of a podcast to ramble really <laughs> and, and I definitely see your point on that and I saw a, a quote from Kate recently where she said that she wrote this song very quickly and mm-hmm. it was just a simple piano vocal and it was easy to record so sometimes things don't have to be too complex and sometimes the song just comes to you it's interesting that a song like this with fairly straightforward lyrics can be interpreted so many different ways. Oh, no, my God. No yes. matter what the performer says that her initial idea was for the song, no matter what Kate says, there's so many ways to look at it. And like you said, some of the lyrics are pretty vague and pretty mysterious. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does she mean by the white? What is the significance of the white rose? I mean, she repeats that quite a bit in the song. You know, go right, go to the rose, go right to the white rose. When what does that signify? We don't know. It's it's up to us to interpret that how we will. You know. Yeah, and like you said, you cruise around on the internet to gaffa.org and other places, and you see other fans that have interpreted, and they go back to some ancient meanings to the white rose and and things like that and how that might play into the song. But it's it, it definitely puts a lot of visuals in your mind. You can picture this playing out, even if it's just straightforward, getting away from a party and a big group of people and going to a private place from your childhood or something like that. You can definitely get that vision in your mind. I can see the colors. I can see the... The, the plants, the shrubbery, whatever. I, I can see it all in my head. Something else that really strikes me, you know, like especially about this song, uh, is the line that this little girl inside me is retreating to her favorite place. Um, I'm reminded of a quote. It's a quote from Kate about how she used to love dancing in front of the TV when she was a child. And then somebody came into the room and pointed and laughed at her because they thought that she was dancing really weird and that she's been trying to get back to that innocent little girl who would just dance in front of the TV and not worry about what people thought of her, that she feels like she's always trying to get back to that place. And so that this little girl inside me is retreating to her favorite place and makes me think of that quote of that, you know, you're you're trying to get back to the innocence that you once felt when you were a child when you really didn't give a shit about anything and you just you just did it because you love you just did something because you loved it. Those are magical times when we're when we're young and then when you get a magical track like this and even though it's issued as a B-side and I always try to imagine where on Hounds of Love would this have worked and I'm sure Kate looked oh. at 20 or 30 different angles. I think just right at the end of side one or at the very beginning of side two, it, it could work, but you know, we don't want to take away from Kate's wisdom. But I just wish yeah. even more people could hear it. It's great that it's mm-hmm. available now in the remastered box sets and in yes. this woman's work. And so people that may not have the actual running up that hill single, everybody needs to hear this song, especially if mm-hmm. you're a yeah, and speaking of the remasters, I understand how you've got the remasters. And oh, and it's also on the other sides, which was uh, you know released earlier this year. And I know it's all been remastered, and you say you've got a copy of those, correct? 
I I had to, even though I had heard all <laughs> of the uh, tracks on the other sides before, you know, except for, of course, we finally get the full version of uh, Passing Through Air. We'd heard part of that before, but it's so fantastic to have that full version. Mm-hmm. There was one or two tracks that I had only seen or heard through, you know, maybe a video clip, so never in great sound quality. But I can tell you that I hear a lot more things on some of these tracks after Kate Bush remastered them. Um, so many of them sound so different. Even that remixed version of Running Up That Hill that she did for the uh, Olympics. I, mm-hmm. I hear things in there that I didn't hear before. But back to Under the Ivy, of course, that was one of the first go-to tracks. I'm like, okay, I got this podcast recording coming up. Got these <laughs> new remasters, these new CDs. Uh, let's plug it in. It, it It sounds great. I mean, there's only so much... You could probably remaster with a song that's basically Kate and her piano, but you can hear the difference. Her voice is just mm. stellar. The piano, it at least to me, it feels like I'm in the room with the piano, It, but it always did sound great. It's just nice to have a little bit more sparkle in it, I guess. From a 1985 interview with Kate Bush by Doug Allen. I read an interview where the interviewer asked you if running up that hill is about the contemplation of suicide. And I thought that was pretty amusing because it seemed to me clearly not to be about any such thing at all. On the other hand, strangely enough, that's just what Under the Ivy seems to be about to me. The tone of the song is very, very sad. And it seems to be about longing for the lost innocence of youth. Perhaps a follow-up to In Search of Peter Pan, a white rose is a strong image in the song. And it could be a symbol for friendship or innocence, but it could also be a symbol for death. You sing away from the party, and it seems like you might almost mean away from the problems and triviality of modern day life. You sing, it wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it. And it seems like you might be almost addressing death itself. You mention a secret, but never mention what it is. Could it be the taboo we have of suicide? What are your feelings about this interpretation, and what were your intentions with the song? Kate, well, I think uh, it perhaps you're reading much more into it than was originally intended when I wrote it. It's very much a song about someone who is sneaking away from a party to meet someone elusively, secretly, and to possibly make love with them, or just to communicate, but it's secret, and it's something they used to do and that they won't be able to do again. It's about a nostalgic, revisited moment. Doug, is there any reason why it's so sad? Kate, I think it's sad because it's about someone who is recalling a moment when perhaps they used to do it when they were innocent and when they were children, and it's something that they're having to sneak away to do privately now as adults. Yeah, there's, it's her piano. I mean, I'm guessing there's probably only three tracks really on this entire song. You get the piano and her main vocal and then her, her background vocal where it sounds like it's been recorded in a tunnel, but they probably just put a lot of reverb on it. The, uh, for me, right after the, you know, go right to the white rose and then a little bit of piano and then for me, <laughs> I, I love that part. It's great that they did release the other sides, you know, the B-sides, the 12-inch dance mixes, and, and you know, some of the cover songs in their own little sets. So you don't have mm-hmm. to be 
uh, daunted with the fact that you have to buy one of the huge remastered collections of all the other albums when some of these tracks some people may not have. So it, it, at the time I bought it, all four CDs in that little set, it was only like 26 bucks on Amazon and every penny. Oh, and of course, I love that the title for this song was also the title of Graham Thompson's biography that has been cited so much on this show. It's like with um, some of the her earlier B-sides that were piano vocal only as well that were like nice and short like this. Like um, one of my absolute favorites, Warm and Soothing, where that's that song is just, I think it barely lasts two minutes, 40 seconds. And it's it, like under the ivy, it's just simple like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to set the piano and just bang out this absolutely gorgeous song and make you all melt and oh god my god yeah that one is i would listen to that one just today on the way home from work and thought about you know her and her piano but just how much higher everything is in that the the key the the vocals everything and it was just a couple of years before doing under the ivy so much changes so quick in the world of kate bush at least during the the 80s do you know of any demos that are out there or anything else um, for this song, no. Um, I get the, I get the impression that she, that Kate went, okay, I'm gonna write and record this thing pretty quickly and just release it as it is, not even touched up. I, I mean, she doesn't need any other instrumentation on this song. Like it's perfect as it is. It's like two minutes of just her at the piano. Doing what, doing what she had always done, and doesn't need any other bells and whistles. Yeah, I, I feel that we're lucky to have this song because it's truly one of my favorites. And the chatter I've seen in the different Kate Bush groups on Facebook and mentions on Twitter as well, I'm not alone. At first, I thought I was one of the few that really liked that song, but thanks to the internet, I know I'm not alone. Well, and when I first started getting into Kate stuff and like I was hearing like, oh yeah, Under the Ivy, that's her best B-side. Oh my gosh, it's absolute, absolute. Like I knew pretty early on that, wow, this is this is an, a big fan favorite. And you know, I like I said, it's like it kind of has snuck up on me, but a lot honestly. Kate is just that kind of artist for me. Like, I'll just, just one day, I'll go, oh my gosh, this is one of my favorites. How did I not hear this before? And and that's the, that was the case with this one. I mean, just how do I pick just a couple of lines that are... I know. Well, there aren't very many lines at all. But I mean, even the part leading up to the giving away a secret where uh, Kate sings about, I sit there, or, sorry, screwed that up. I sit here in the thunder. Yeah, I sit here in the thunder, the green on the gray. I feel it all around me, and it's not easy for me to give away a secret. It's not safe. But every single line in this song means something. And and even just the way the song ends with, it wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it. And it just kind of, in a way, fades. Not like fading out the music, but just that last chord just goes. And the interpretations of all the different things, I... You know, because there's so many, it's it's sometimes hard to have your your own interpretation because there's already they've covered everything from death. Um, heard an interpretation that it that this is actually one of Kate's most 
sexual song. Oh, uh, well, I guess we can kind of talk about the lyrics because I think the lyrics are the lyrics feel both they feel both personal and impersonal at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's a, a very good observation because like a lot of her songs it isn't her at least it's very tempting to believe it's about her because she always writes with a very I voice mm-hmm. you know it wouldn't take me long and it's in her very specific vocal style as well in her voice so it sounds like it's coming from her but I wonder how autobiographical it is um, and also to me as well it, it, it kind of conjures up um, uh, when she's talking about her garden and so on, if you know her kind of story a little bit, you know she grew up on a farmhouse and she recorded in a studio in a farmhouse. So there's a very specific set of imagery that goes with it that mm-hmm. makes it sound like it ought to be autobiographical as well, I think. Um, but I do wonder whether she, how much she can distance herself from it and just write it about. Well, the funny thing is what it reminded me of a little bit as well was something like Far From the Madding Crowd, like a piece of English, you know, classic literature, because she's, she she does that as well. She she will always, not always, but um, very often kind of refer to a kind of literary background or a filmic background. And that kind of rural, uh, rural English idiom and imagery, uh, and particularly a storm, there's a very, have you read Far From the Madding Crowd? I have not. I was that was more of an AP advanced placement English mm-hmm. kind of thing when I was in high school, so I didn't get a chance to read it. But I've heard okay. about it. Okay. And, yeah. I, I don't know if it's it's a, a reference or not, but it, it, there's a specific scene where the two main characters uh, have to save a, a haystack in the middle of a storm, and it reminds me of that. So huh. the fun, the thunder and the lightning in this rural. Um, this kind of rural setting it's a very to me it's a very uh, english set picture set and very english set of imagery well and nice gardens also especially come up a lot in her her work like um yeah like in frightened eyes one of my favorite demos that i really wish that she had fleshed out she mentions you know and there's a line about in any english country gardens mm. Or in something like a song, she's talking about something being out in her garden. and So it, gardens play a very big role in her songs. And I'm not surprised that this kind of ended up in a song that she started writing in her home studio where she's back at home with her family. And it's a much more lively environment than when she recorded The Dreaming where she was going from studio to studio and she was kind of away from her family for a while. Yeah. And she probably wrote she probably wrote this like playing the piano and looking out the window at the big at the big sky yeah. <laughs> it's nice to imagine isn't it yeah 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 mm-hmm. i think that's very true and i think there's probably almost a whole study you could do just about the gardens in her work as you say something that sounds like a song in my garden mm-hmm. it's the same to me it's always the same garden i think i don't know whether it's intended to be or not or um uh, I, I had another good example, um, but there's lots of. I think um, this song I think reminds me a little bit of um, "Never Be Mine" off the Sensual World, which mm. is probably coming up. But it has a lot of it, kind of similar reference points as well. So it has. Um, so that song refers to the the cornfields being set fire to, which again is kind of yeah. pastoral imagery. 
and then a lot of the kind of harmonies of these very open unstable unresolved pieces of harmonies that are moving in the background as well yes especially with the way the melody moves because i mean In this version, it starts in G minor, but the first note is F. Yeah. <laughs> it's And she's actually done that quite a bit in the songs from, from Hounds of Love, that she'll start on a note that's like, she's not starting on the tonic, she's starting mm. like the tone below. And so you kind of, it kind of feels a little destabilizing in a way. Yes. It's kind of wobbly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that makes it so, so lovely and so, so beautiful. This song is exactly that. Uh, and then the thing that's quite subtle i think is is that only happens at the beginning and the end of the song as well so it's that opening chord with um which is a i think is a suspended fourth so it's got the c rather than the b flat and then the vocal as you say is on the f Mm -hmm. so it's a really open kind of wobbly uh tentative harmony but then the as it gains pace I think become uh, more more uh, conventional, so it's going down through the F and the E flat and so on. Uh, but then at the end, I think it, it resolves on like a, to tell you where to find me is another suspended chord at the end as well. So mm-hmm. it comes full circle back to this slightly unstable, tentative, very longing uh, quality. As she's singing the verse, the verse, the melody is leading, the chord changes ever so slightly. So the words are like a quarter of a beat, just faster than the chord that's changing underneath. Wouldn't take me long, and then it changes to tell you where to find it, and then it changes, and so on. It wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it, to tell you where we'll girl inside me is retreating to her For the chorus, go into the garden, go up, uh, down under the leaves, away from the party, suddenly they line up and it's much more assertive and a deliberate choice. Um, and certainly the way she's also playing piano at that part, it's more like block chords. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas before it's, you know, da 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 Like it's a little bit yes. more flowing. And then she da 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 go into the garden, <laughs> go under the ivy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's gone from this kind of arpeggiated to, to as you say, these more kind of blocky, uh, more dramatic. Um, yeah. Maybe. Go into the garden, go under the ivy. considering that there aren't like too many chord changes in the song that like Mm. 
it's at G it's like G minor, F, B E flat, and then B flat, F, G minor. That's mm -hmm. pretty much throughout the whole song. And so like changing that up like that makes it more interesting. It's not just the same thing for two minutes. And after hearing so many of the songs, you know, on Never Forever and then the production and the songs on the dreaming, to have, you know, running up that hill. It was very cool. Love that song as well, but you know it has a lot of different elements and production to it. Mm -hmm. But you listen to Under the Ivy, and I think one of my first thoughts was, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It's just Kate and a piano, just like the old days. I'm going to mm -hmm. soak it in. And like you said, only about two minutes. So, okay, we'll start it over. Let's hear this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of like her at the piano, I love that this is just her at her piano, you know, retreating to her favorite place, the piano, like she did when she was a kid before all the whirlwind of fame. She would just sit at her piano and just lose herself in the music. And yes, I know I started to quote an Eminem thing there, but it was completely unintentional. It's a good song. So I've listened to a lot of your Hounds of Love episodes so far, and people have pointed out, I think quite rightly, that um, they're very... Um, rhythmic songs uh, the dreaming is starting all the way back in never forever where she buys a, a beatbox and you can mm -hmm. start to see that happen and then for the dreaming the rhythm becomes more important and then hounds of love there are all, sometimes almost no harmonies just kind of wobbling backwards and forwards between two very open-ended chords mm -hmm. while the big drums are going on this is actually quite a nice contrast to that and reminds me in some ways of a very early piano ballad work just very straightforward unaffected uh, so, so she can still do that too and she can probably it sounds like she just did it in an afternoon as well which is very annoying mm -hmm. but <laughs> i know yeah and it's one of her best songs and she just knocks it out you know yeah it could be connected all, all the way back to in my garden you know or looking forward to i think a lot of the uh um 50 words for snow starts to become very pianistic again and very harmonic again so mm -hmm. it's interesting it's always there while she's doing all of the big rhythmic and sampling and you know uh, layering of, of vocals and stuff like this and it's a good contrast to the a side yeah 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 uh, you know it, it didn't even occur to me but you're absolutely right yeah because the a side is so it's running up that hill I and mean, who doesn't know that <laughs> song by now and then you get this on the b side that's so simple it's like um, it's like the for the dreaming when you had the sat in your lap as lead single, and then the B side was Lord of the Reedy River. Mm. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? So she mm -hmm. she's good at um, putting out uh, an A side, which is really pioneering and interesting and unusual and quite challenging actually. And then the B sides are where the more convent not conventional, but you know maybe more not even mainstream. I'm struggling to find a nice. Or maybe acoustic almost? Perhaps, yeah. Maybe more more balladeering. I don't know. What's mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's something that's completely different. Yes. Contrasting. Yeah, maybe yes, there we go. Contrasting. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the word? I don't yeah. know. I'm starting to think of French words. I'm like, ah oh, no, stay in English. <laughs> what would be a French good French word for this phenomenon? I don't know. Um mm. I guess quelque chose de différent, something different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, this is just, and it's got just some really pretty imagery in here too. I mean, we were talking about the gardens, like go under the ivy. It feels very, yeah. like very mysterious because ivy is such a, 
a plant it just wants to go everywhere it's like mint it's like it just wants to take over <laughs> and uh well i think ivy is evergreen as well is it is that mm -hmm. right so, so ivy is enduring i think so gardens are seasonal and ivy is enduring i'm just it's a, you know this is just occurring to me now <laughs> thinking yeah. about and why this is interesting the ivy has a direct connection to the past uh through a garden that's changing and has been tended uh, and has a, a cycle growing on top of it. all the things that, you, that kind of resonate that sound like uh, that resonate with you and that you're talking about that idea of growing and maturing yeah. uh, and the ivy is the constant there that's going on through that um, and I, it's always with this stuff I do wonder how much of this she's thought about consciously and how much of this just appeals to her artistic imagination mm -hmm. because she's just tuned into that kind of thing I don't know I don't know I like to think that some that she comes up with the melody first and then like puts in the words because she's I've read some quotes from her that when she first started writing songs that she would come up with melodies but coming up with lyrics was a little bit more difficult mm. and so I wonder if sometimes she just chooses this phrase because it sounds cool yeah it could be yeah and it wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise me um because I think the the way that the 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 story is put together is very interesting uh, lyrically speaking mm -hmm. and what's interesting because with kate bush you know almost everything every little element of a song or a lyric has purpose to her and it's just interesting that this song like you said just a little over two minutes the first line of this brief song is it wouldn't take me long to tell you how mm -hmm. to find it. so letting you know right up front this is going to be quick and to the point, but settle in. Yeah. And even her, her vocal delivery on that line, especially, is like very, it's, it's kind of hushed and like detached. Like you're kind of feeling like maybe she's leaning in and trying to like, trying to, trying to whisper to you in a way, and even though she's not whispering, but it's, it's very soft and very detached. Like it wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it. It almost feels like kind of Morse code a little bit. And it definitely gets your attention right off the bat. This is so good. I'm going to have to hear it again and again. I know. Me too. <laughs> yes. Maybe I'll even like dig out the sheet music and play it on, try and play on piano. I used to be able to like, I could do it from memory and it's been a couple of years because I've been doing other stuff, but yeah, it's just, oh my gosh, this is such a beautiful song. I could go on for hours about this. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about that, that opening line. Let me think now. Yeah, so it wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it, to tell you where we'll meet. It wouldn't take me long to tell you how to find it, to tell you where we'll the image that, that this conjures up to me is that this is like an internal monologue of this character talking to somebody, trying to talk to somebody else almost psychically across a room. So because that imagery is there of this party, the, the, the song mentions a party later on. You've got to go away from this party, which I, gives me shivers when she sings that because I get that a lot. You know, alone in a crowd is, is such a, an interesting idea and such a common mm -hmm. experience I think that a lot of people have. And she manages to express that very beautifully. And then the desire for like a genuine intimacy. So you, you mm -hmm. know, somebody that she, she actually knows that she can tell 
she's almost maybe she looks makes eye contact with this person and just kind of gives it a roll of the eyes like let's go under the eye i don't know mm-hmm. you see this is the this is the danger of this is why <laughs> interpreting it makes it sound crass right <laughs> <laughs> but it feels but, like yeah, yeah like you're you're in this crowded place and you kind of want to get away with somebody mm. you love mm. and maybe you used to used to go to this secret place and yeah, this little girl inside me is retreating to her favorite place. Maybe yeah. like her favorite place is like like retreating into her head. Okay, like I'm done being around all these people. I'm done. I need to go introvert for a while. Let's go get away. This little girl inside me is retreating to her that's absolutely it i think and it's about an assignation if that's that's because somebody asked me so what's this song about and i said that's the first thing that came into my head it's about an assignation it's about somebody who wants to meet somebody else mm-hmm. uh for 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 a real connection and you know like all of her work so much of her well you know there's that real core theme to everything she does it's about trying to make connections with people mm-hmm. and Building, br- building bridges and communication and the difficulties of, of that. And this, I think, is another really interesting facet of that. And certainly, like you were mentioning, yes. like feeling alone in a crowd, that yes. I sit here in the thunder, the green on the gray, I feel it all around me. I feel like that's about, about like, it goes back to being at this party and there's lots of noise and it's all this stuff going on and you're, you're feeling kind of... I just need to get away and everything. I sit here in the thunder, the green on the gray. I feel it all around me. I heard that slightly differently. And in, in my in my imagination, it was like a, the just basically that kind of static electricity you get in the air before a thunderstorm, the storm storm brewing. Uh, so she's sitting, I think, in a gut. This is one of the things I think that makes this very uh, uh, such an English song, and I'd love to hear your take on this being transatlantic, because there's a, such a specific green on grey, uh, and, and the way she mentions it um, is really. Uh, a very beautiful word picture immediately but um so I, i've been to um, the states a bit and i've been seeing various bits of it but i've not seen all of it but i've never come across this very particular kind of summery day that you get in england where it's a solid gunmetal gray sky with a storm in it and then green very specific green trees blowing on top of it mm-hmm. um, so that's all you need to say is the green and the gray and immediately it, it, oh. it evokes this thunderstorm and um it's like that very much now actually and so in my apartment we have a shared garden down at the bottom and i go down and i feed the cat and uh you know sit on a bench and i can see this phenomenon right in front of me and i'm reminded of it every time the trees blowing and the, the stormy sky uh and I, and it's such a distinct suburban image um mm-hmm. quality uh, and I've seen a lot of fascinating kind of effects, kind of visual effects in America, but they're a different scale. So, you know, I've been to I've been to Salt Lake City and I've seen the Wasatch Mountains, 
but it's such a different kind of experience of what a landscape is like it's mm-hmm. huge the horizon is miles away and the sky is different and the air quality is different yeah um i don't know sorry this feels like a, a tangent but at the same time it feels very particular and i don't know i'd be really curious to know whether what you know whether that kind of imagery translates or whether you get something different from it you know what does that conjure up for you you know well, it's interesting you mentioned the landscapes because yeah in the united states we're such a large country that every region looks different. It's like you were mentioning, like yeah. I've been out West and it is yeah. like the skies feel like they just go on and on and on for ages. Yeah. Or if you go out to, um, if you go into new England, that feels a little different. It's, it's a lot of green in new yeah. England, lots and lots of green. Like I've been up to upstate New York in Massachusetts, I've been to Maine. I remember going up there, and it was fifty degrees in July, and it kind of threw me off. I was ten years holy, old. I was holy. like, I was like, why is it cold in the summer? And mom explaining to having to explain climate to her ten-year-old daughter. Um, but no, it does oh, conjure up. What's that? You mean fifty degrees Fahrenheit? Oh, fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess would be still very cold, right? I guess maybe 15 degrees Celsius. Okay. Maybe. I have no idea. I don't know. The one imperial measurement I have absolutely no grasp on. Sorry. I it's can okay. do inches quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wish we were all on the same temperature scale. Anyway, but it does, yeah, I, I see what you mean about the landscapes because there are, for me, at least of what I've seen of the U.S., like I've seen, I've been out west, I've been to mm. the north, and where I live around here. It is like the skies are not very blue. It's very hazy because it's mm. so humid here. We're kind of a subtropical here in Southern Virginia. So the skies and the colors to me are a lot different. I see a lot more gray, I think. And even if when you go out to the Atlantic, um, well, there are days where they tell people to not go and swim in the, in the Atlantic, and it's not really like this deep blue that you might imagine uh-huh. in other regions. Why, do, why, why not swim in the Atlantic? Is that um, too, like, too cold? Not really too cold, but just um, sometimes you'll get weird fungus that come in. Oh, my in. God. <laughs> yeah, like from some of the pollution, because it is such a... Our, our region is very industrial. Um, it's okay. a lot of shipbuilding and um, get like big shipping. You have, you'll see out way out in the distance, you'll see these ships with big shipping containers on top of them. Okay. Um, like when I pass, uh, when I pass uh, one of the tunnels going into uh, Norfolk, like you look off and you can see all the shipping containers like from all around the world. You get like Maersk and china shipping all sorts of stuff it's very industrial so the colors around here are not exactly it's a lot more gray you don't really see a lot of green (laughs) okay but it's true like different regions are have like their different feel to them this reminds me as well i sit here in the thunder and now there's some dispute over the meaning of this line i don't know if you've come across this argument um so there's uh, a pictorial uh, what is it? Kate Bush, a visual documentary by Mays and Can. So, because I was mm-hmm. trying to find as much interesting stuff as I could about this. Uh, now, they make this assertion, which I think is a little bit ridiculous, but this is what they claim anyway is that the thunder is the thunder box, which is an outdoor toilet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, just no. 
<laughs> no, I don't think so either. Um, I don't know why you would. I mean, even if even if that were true, which I don't think it is, why would you interpret it that way? When you, it's there's such a, a much more beautiful interpretation that lends itself much more readily to to the song, I think. So I feel it all around me is just about the gathering storm or maybe the, the crowd of the party. It doesn't, you know, why does it have to be a, a bathroom joke, really? Yeah, really. No. Uh, there are some idiots out there. <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of different colors. I've noticed, like, and I've just kind of thought of this, that, you know, the green on the gray, go to the white rose. That's, yeah, yeah. And... I- I didn't notice that either, but you're quite right. But I just, I honestly just noticed. I'm like, oh wait. Um, to me, green on the gray, it goes into. Um, I'm trying to think how to explain. It. I think of green on the gray as, like, she's she's in the middle of this party with all these people, and she's feeling like, oh my god, I'm getting really peopled out. I need to just get the hell away. And so the thunder is like all the party and all the people, rah, ah, like all, all okay. the talking. And that the green on the gray is like her, because green is, when I think of green, I think of innocence uh, a little bit. I think of like when somebody is green, like they're new at something, they're young, oh, fresh. Yeah, okay. And so I think yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. I think That's of like her, button. yeah, like I think of her innocence, like trying to creep in over the gray of like her mind and just like rah, like feeling all stormy uh-huh. you know and it's not easy for me to give away a secret it's not safe that it, it's not easy for me to to let on who i really am or how i really feel because i'm with all these people and i just i need to just escape for a bit and it's not easy for me to give away a I can see why it has so many interpretations because one people love to interpret stuff i mean that's what the podcast this podcast is for <laughs> but also just that it is so vague like, you know, I've got, i feel it all around me what is the it um what is oh to give away a secret it's not safe well what is the secret or white rose like white rose it has to mean something and to me, I just think it's about somebody trying to, they're trying to find their, wanting to escape to their own private retreat and just get away from the world for a while. And and for all we know, maybe growing up, Kate had a garden in the backyard out mm-hmm. near the back, and maybe there was a particular white rose that she always remembers. And it's just that straightforward. <laughs> That's, ah, you know, I, I never heard it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Now that you, yeah, that's very nice. Um, and then it goes into uh, when she talks about the white rose, that a white rose uh, is the symbolism of that is purity and innocence. Yes. What's that's it? a more obvious one, I think. But yeah, mm. yeah. But sorry, you were saying what you think is. Yeah, but, you know, go to the white rose, go right to the white rose, I'll be waiting for you. Because it's a song, and it's, it's about, like, like, getting back to your, and something you used to do when you were a kid, when you were innocent. Yes. That sounds entirely plausible to me, and, and sounds like a good 
reading of this and because that's exactly the sense that I get from it as well it is about a kind of longing uh, yeah nostalgic longing a longing mm-hmm. for that's, that's gone that you can't get back yeah for sure and uh, yeah child and innocence is definitely one of those things or maybe um, an agreement with a child with an old childhood friend something that yeah maybe the relationship has stayed but the content has changed because you know people mature and mm-hmm. But this is this is so interesting because it's such a simple song, but it lends itself to all of these different ways of thinking about it and reading it. I think and, and hearing different layers in it. Yeah. Um, and all she does is, I think, just listen to the muse and, and as you say, find the melody and find the chords, and then the, the whole thing suggests itself. So yeah, I think because she is a very suburban artist, um, and UK suburbs, I think, have for my. Um, subjective experience of these things are quite different from American ones. So there's an Ameri- there's a kind of cultural stereotype almost of what an American suburb is like with this white picket fence and it's almost like it almost like a David Lynch slightly odd maybe I don't know. Um, Can or, be. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and I think the way that uh, maybe class is understood is a little bit different as well. Um mm. So the middle class means something slightly different. And I think uh, Kate is of the English middle class. So her dad was a doctor. So they were quite well off and they were quite insulated. And um, in the scheme of things, probably, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, not not wealthy, but, you know, certainly um, grounded and, you know, safe. And I think that's partly what gave her the creative freedom to do what she does, which is really great. Absolutely. Uh, and it, and it also gives her a very specific uh, frame of reference, which I think is one of the great things about her work, actually, is that she can turn very ordinary, domestic and middle of the road things like a, somebody, you know, in a party. But she can make it sound really interesting and just peel back all the layers on it because that's that's what she works with. Um let me think now. Yeah, so these are yeah, these are UK suburbs, I think, and they're not um, they're not a bungalow with huge acres around them and you know crickets or, or mm-hmm. whatever you get. Or uh, they're, they're quite a small house with several stories and ivy and red brick and um, maybe a driveway, that kind of thing. It's a bit Miss Marple. Imagine like a you know. Mm-hmm. It's an element of truth to these stereotypes, unfortunately. And um, but she can make those take those images and make them really, uh, really sing and really fresh again. I think, which is really nice. interesting that we don't have an actual you know video video for the song you know like she was heavy into doing the concept videos at this time mm-hmm. we just have well not just because this is stellar to have the live performance of it that she yes. did for that television show back in the day and the way at the very end after the last note where she just looks up and smiles with satisfaction mm-hmm. is just yeah, you nailed it, Kate. You nailed it. Yeah, I was watching that actually earlier today because I know it's been, uh, or I know earlier this year it was uploaded to uh, from Kate to Kate Bush's official YouTube channel, 
and it was in it's in supposed to be in higher quality or as best qualities I can get. And so I was looking into that performance because I've seen it before and I always thought it I like it was honestly kind of random. Well, this is a B side and she's performing it on TV. I wonder why this particular one or she must have just been really fond of it. I mean, why not? Um, yeah, I was looking into that. It's it was on a TV show called The Tube. Uh, the 100th episode of it, and it was broadcast on March 19th, 1986, and it's the only time that this song has been performed live, and um, me being music nerd, as I was listening to this, I thought, this sounds a little bit brighter. That's because this song in the uh, in this live version is actually sung a half step up, because I actually have... Yeah, I have sheet music for Under the Ivy because it's actually really easy to play on piano. It's really not that hard. A lot of Kate Bush's music, quite a few of her songs are difficult to play. Like I would never attempt to play Wuthering Heights, for example. I would never even attempt to sing that. But something like Under the Ivy is actually not that hard to play on piano with just a little bit of practice. And the sheet music on that is in G minor, which itself is a nice moody key. Not as much as, say, B flat minor but it's still moody. And this one, it sounded brighter. And I thought, okay. And so I started picking out because I know the melody. And so I picked it out on the piano and I was, oh my goodness, this is half a step up in G sharp minor, which itself is another uh, kind of moody key. But I find it interesting that she performed it a little bit higher than on the recorded version, I guess, to like give us something a little different perhaps. But I thought that was a nice little touch that she felt confident enough in herself performing on TV and you know what I'm going to sing this just a little bit higher because why not that is a great catch now I need to go watch it again because I noticed the sound being different but I just Mm -hmm. took that to be the recording technology at the time or what have you but that's amazing and you're right it would take confidence especially since it's just her her piano and live and Mm -hmm. it's fantastic and I'm glad and thankful for not only the official Kate Bush YouTube channel, but the fact that they post some of these videos in here when they find them good enough quality because the version that I had way back in the day was a VHS copy of a VHS copy that was probably copied (laughs) from a Betamax copy, and the sound was muddy, the picture was muddy and kept getting skewed, and so this is a treasure, and Mm -hmm. I'm glad we get to watch it. Now I have to watch it again, and really pay attention to the key because I have been playing the track quite a few times this week leading up to our discussion we're having. And so I should instantly notice the difference after hearing it that many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was striking to me and it, it just moving it up to that just a little bit higher, like just gives it, it still sounds mysterious, but it, it sounds even sadder. Like G sharp minor is such a, it's not as sad as B flat minor or E flat minor for any for that matter, but you're still using a lot of flat. You're using a lot of the black keys, and so it just it has this kind of like yearning kind of quality to it. Is kind of how I interpret that. And and since this is kind of a a yearning for innocence in your childhood, it fits with the song for sure. Wouldn't it be great to travel back in time and just be a a person in the back of that studio when she performed that live. Mm-hmm. And I will say that watching this video, 
it makes me sad, and I've pointed this out before, it makes me sad that Kate hasn't done more performances like she did on the tube with Under the Ivy. Because it's just her and the piano. We don't need any of the other things. It's wonderful that, you know, for all the wonderful things that Kate loves to do with her her theatrics and her choreography, that's all really cool. But, you know, we just want to see you sitting at your piano and playing and singing. And she's, her doing that song and even moving it up to a different key and playing it a little differently, it shows that she can do it. But she just... You know, I, I, it's, it's frustrating. It's just like, oh, you could have done this. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I don't have an answer to that one, Cecily. I know. <laughs> it's me like, ah, more live stuff. But oh, I, I am glad that this does exist. Yeah, because I ended up going down a rabbit hole uh, one afternoon with the Kate Bush YouTube mm-hmm. channel because they're, I guess the default on YouTube is just to play them in the order of most recent to oldest because things were not in any sort of curated order. <laughs> At least it was easy to find under the ivy, but then you're just bouncing all over the place. But you sure do get to hear a lot of different styles and see a lot of different uh, hairstyles and outfits and things over the years, but that's how it is with anybody. The fact that she performed it live on that show at the time on the tube, I mean, obviously the album... Hounds of Love had already been out for a while, so it's not like it was a song that she was hoping would be on Hounds of Love. But I don't know. Like you said, I think it's confidence because who does that? You know, you've got all these hits on Hounds of Love. I'm going to do one that's only available on the B-side just Mm -hmm. because I've realized in hindsight how awesome it is, simple it is, and she could just, if she wanted to, she could just show up and, yeah, I'll do a song for you. Watch this. The two, no, as in, oh, um, it was a TV a, show, yes. So it's on you, it's on YouTube, um, introduced by Paula Yates, I think. Uh, and it's just a two minute video of her in her very eighties looking massively wide shouldered suit. <laughs> oh my god, yes, so much hairspray, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of the constant mysteries to me is that her hair and makeup can look spectacular, and then her dress sense is just all over the place. I don't know. Two separate advisors, I don't know. <laughs> this is the same person that wore, you know, I'm a prima donna in you, and then like leg warmers to a, you know, record store signing. Yeah, I don't what? know. <laughs> Were you drunk when you did this anyway? I think, well, I mean, to try and put a positive spin on it, I think um, you can see, I think, particularly around maybe the dreaming, she starts to dress in a less provocative way i think a lot of those early videos when i see them i tend to cringe a little bit because she's just not wearing very much and i don't think it's very dignified and i don't Mm. think it helps the music very much either and then there's some time in the early 80s when she starts wearing those kind of boxy linen suits or whatever they are um which i think uh makes it makes a much more interesting statement like she comes on top of the pops and does hounds of no running up that hill i beg your pardon and she wears this kind of very gray rectilinear looking and she stands still and it's brilliant, and it's just um, that's a that's a performance, and you don't need to do anything. You just need to be, and you just need to have this kind of grounded. Sorry, this is a massive tangent again, but I just thought it was interesting since it came up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so this video, I think, is an, a nice example of of that of her. I think um, 
letting the music speak for itself, I think, and just hanging back a bit with the video, with the with the visuals, because you don't need much. You just need to showcase the performance, and it's a really nice performance, and I really enjoy it. Actually, the reason that we're here at Abbey Road Studios is not to do the Beatles. It's actually because we're doing Kate Bush. She had her first hit when she was 19, and it was... <laughs> Can I have no peace? No peace. Anyway, Kate had her first hit with Wuthering Heights, and since then she's gone on from strength to strength and breaking completely new territories in music. She has also made her performances into something of an art form, mingling dance and mime and all kinds of theatre. In fact, she's a very thespian girl. So here we are, we're going to look at Kate Bush at Abbey Road Studios. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's always great to talk to you. Yay. I always like talking to other Kate fans. Oh, my gosh. Yay. <laughs> oh, I so much appreciate it, Cecily. Always great to to be part of an episode of Strange Phenomena because I listen to all of them and hear all the other thoughts. And it's just great to be on another episode and especially during this era of Kate Bush. So, Cecily, thank you very much for having me on to be part of the show. Mm-hmm. Of course. And uh, where can people find you on social media? I'm at Wayne Henderson on Twitter. On Facebook, I'm Wayne Henderson. And, of course, uh, we're getting closer to hopefully finding out if my Green Bay Packers will make the playoffs this year. So if you're an NFL fan, you can check out my Packers fan podcast at PackersFanPodcast.com. Go Pack Go! Yay! Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and I look forward to talking with you again on the show.
Awesome. Thanks, Cecily. Well, I think we pretty much covered everything for Under the Ivy. I think so, yeah. And yeah. I, um, I, appreciate uh yeah you've made me think about that in a different way which i which i really appreciate thank you oh hi try all right well uh thank you so much for being on the show to talk about under the ivy it was great to talk to you as always you're quite welcome and it was great to talk to you too and uh it would be nice to be back soon Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, we got one B-side down. We went out into the garden. We went under the ivy. We went under the leaves, away from the party, and got to dissect a really beautiful song. I mean, I love this song. You all, who, I have yet to honestly meet a Kate fan who does not love this song. Anyway, speaking of favorite songs, next week, we're going to continue the B-sides. We're going to talk about B-side for cloud busting, the absolutely defiant Burning Bridge. And I'm going to get to talk about that with another Kate fan who's been on the show before. He's a young fan from California. His name is Diego Ortega. So we're super excited to talk about that one. But first things first, if you are enjoying the show and you're like, ooh, I want to go support. Ooh, she has a Patreon. Ooh, where is it? Patreon.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. You can see all sorts of cool rewards. You get an extra show. You actually get an extra show to go with all of your rewards and stuff. You can also follow me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. You can follow me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. And you can email me, KBCast at LinkMedia.com. That is always link with an E. And also kbcast.linkmedia.com. You can find this thing anywhere on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. Uh, Hopefully good reviews. Hopefully happy, happy reviews. And anyway, I'm really looking forward to next week. I hope you all will enjoy the episode coming out next week. We're going to get to talk about a not very mentioned song in Kate Bush's canon, burning bridge. See everybody then.